The Vision app is the best place to find a growing range of on-demand audio for the whole family. Your kids or grandkids can listen to the popular radio drama Adventures in Odyssey and two-minute Bible stories called Quick Sticks whenever it suits you. Whether you're in the car for a few minutes or for a longer trip, these two programs will keep the kids entertained. New episodes are added every weekday in the free Vision Christian Media app. If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're turning our attention today to some developing persecution issues overseas. When authorities in the Philippines want to silence their critics, be they journalists, conservationists, human rights activists, or even Christian missionaries, they simply red-tag them. That is, they'll label them as communist recruiters or financiers. People who are red-tagged routinely disappear or are imprisoned and tortured and even murdered. Security personnel in the Philippines have sweeping powers and are guaranteed impunity. The really worrying thing is that this persecution is on the rise. Insights today into the developments where numerous Christian leaders and missionaries have been red-tagged, arrested and driven into hiding since last year's elections in the Philippines. Our special guest today back with us, Elizabeth Kendall, a religious liberty analyst and advocate for the persecuted church. Elizabeth is a former principal researcher for the World Evangelical Alliance Religious Liberty Commission. She's also an adjunct research fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at Melbourne School of Theology. Elizabeth Kendall, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you for having me again, Neil. Elizabeth, let's talk perhaps getting a, a conversation like this underway Latest media reports around this issue, red tagging, uh, where can you take us here to set us a scene for what we're talking about? Well, in in regards to red tagging, there's almost nothing out there. Unless you actually go to like Philippine media or you look at uh, reports by human rights organisations, you will not see anything really on mainstream media. I have noted that uh, last night SBS, I think, had a... Uh, had a, a little had a little piece on the Philippines concerning investigations into the extrajudicial killings of the Duterte era. So Rodrigo Duterte, he had this war on drugs that basically involved go out there and kill anyone who you who you think might have drugs, and thousands died. But uh, the actual the way that the critics of these policies that that policy and other policies have been dealt with is they have been accused of being communist sympathizers or of recruiting for the uh, for the communist uh, army the armed forces of the communist party in the philippines and then they're arrested some have been assassinated back into Turte's era uh, several catholic priests were assassinated including some who were actually uh uh, delivering the mass at the time were assassinated in their churches and it's it's been something that's been going on under the radar it, it's uh, it's a funny thing although 
some very big voices like the uh, National Council of uh, Churches in the Philippines. They have spoken out against it, but still it's continuing and I think it's going to get worse and it's got to not be under the radar anymore. We have to realize this is a serious threat to free speech uh, in the in the Philippines. I think listeners, many will remember those years under Rodrigo Duterte and his war on drugs and uh, the cavalier attitude that he had to that policy of, uh, of just take out the drug dealers and giving police that... Uh, that permission to actually, as you say, you know, extrajudicial killings. Don't worry about the courts. If you find a drug dealer, shoot them dead. And uh, in some sense, I remember at the time some people were celebrating the fact that, oh, well, here's real leadership going to eradicate a drug problem. But, of course, when you go that far, you create something of a monster that can be that can sort of go out of control. Is that the way you might think of, you know, that sort of policy as a as a dictatorial leader? Oh, shocking. And, of course, it wasn't even just that if you find a drug dealer, shoot them dead. It was if you think you find a drug dealer, you can shoot them dead. So, you know, there were plenty of cases where maybe some petty little drug user got was just shot dead on the street or there was someone who maybe looked suspicious or talked to someone they shouldn't have talked to and they were just shot dead on the street and the bodies just mounted up. There's an estimation, I think, of at least 12,000 that were just extrajudicially killed on the streets uh, without uh, without question. Uh, you know, many of them, their mothers wept saying they're not drug dealers, they never have been. Um, it, it was just appalling and human rights groups were appalled but, you know, not much of uh, really at an international level. There, there was never a lot of outcry against it, I don't think. Okay. Let's talk about the current leadership in the Philippines and uh, the dissent from these leaders that we're talking about, uh, you know, like Duterte. Uh, who's in control in the Philippines right now? Well, that's where it gets really, really interesting. So I would say the real rot in the Philippines started way back in 1972 when President Ferdinand Marcos Sr. silenced all opposition, abolished civil liberties, declared martial law, granted the military sweeping powers, and, uh, and, and the Philippines descended into this horrendous dictatorship. And it was like that, you know, like for de- for uh, for a good decade after that. It was in February of 1986 that eventually, you might remember, the Marcoses were overthrown in the Popular Revolution, also known as the People's, you know, the Yellow Revolution, and uh, the, their their mansions were opened up, and all the Milda Marcoses' shoes were on display. All the corruption was there. But that was a period of horrendous corruption and brutal dictatorship. Now, we don't sort of see that sort of dictatorship and brutality again until the election of Rodrigo Duterte in May 2016. And he was famous because he cleaned up, cleaned up, you know, Davao City in southern Philippines. Uh, he'd, you know, got rid of the drugs and everything there, probably just as brutally, and he was elected, democratically elected in a popular vote. And Duterte is the one who really started to use this red tagging 
to get rid of his critics. So I think I think Mark, Pre- President Ferdinand Marcos Senior just shot them, <laughs> got rid of them with the military in his under martial law. Rodriguez Duterte really got this red tagging thing happening. Now in May of last year, Filipinos went to the polls and they elected as the president, the son of President Ferdinand Marcos Sr. and the daughter of Rodriguez Duterte. So we now have the son and the daughter of the two most brutal dictators the country has ever known. And and it looks like their partnership is set to uh, continue those brutal autocratic policies. It's not looking good at all. Now, our conversation is around issues to do with persecution, but given that the Philippine people elected these leaders to power, does that give some sort of endorsement to the way that their parents, uh, who were dictators and quite brutal, does it give some endorsement to the way that the country has been run before? Uh, Do people sort of have a hunger for a certain law and order which has real backbone and uh, this, you know, shoot them from the hip sort of thing? Is that, that, do you think, where the Philippine people are at? Well, that's the really interesting question, and that's the sort of question you need to ask all over the place. Like, like people need to ask, why did certain why did Americans elect Trump? Why do certain people elect this per- person? And to go back and ask those questions, I think, is the biggest question of all. Why did people elect Rodrigo Duterte when he was? He is probably one of the. Oh, I'm going to step out in boldness here, probably one of the vilest politicians I've come across. So, for example, uh, I don't know when it was. It was some quite quite a long time ago, I think. It probably went maybe when he was mayor of Davos City. There was a terrible incident in one of the prisons there and uh, at the, there was a riot. I don't think people broke out, but there was fire, there was the stuff that happens when there's a prison riot. And in the prison at the time was a little missionary group and they were involved in a prison ministry thing and they were doing a worship service. There was a little music team that was presenting music and in that music team was an Australian female missionary, a young woman, I think just in her 20s. And uh, she was, I think, in that prison riot, she was, I think, gang-raped to death. So she died. And Rodrigo Duterte is famous for having said, oh, she was a looker. I wish they'd let me at her first. So that is the quality of this man. And yet and yet, for some reason, and, and I think his policies in Davos to clean up Davos City of the crime and the drugs was brutal there as well. Um. But the people seem to be desperate for it. And and to understand it, I think, well, I don't fully understand it, but I haven't really gone back and had a look at how bad the situation had become. To, to what degree was the Philippines and these cities mired in criminality and drugs to the point that people would be that desperate for that sort of a... You know, you know I mean, this Rodrigo Duterte used to used to pose, you know, with images of himself looking like Rambo with machine guns. And uh, when he came to power, you could buy little figurine dolls. I've got a picture on my 
one of my prayer bulletins back from his time, they're selling little figurine dolls of Duterte looking like Rambo with, with machine guns. Why did they vote for him? Well, that's a whole a whole other topic, and uh, I don't know that I can answer that question, actually. Uh, and maybe, uh, you know, there's a little similarity to some other uh, world leaders mm. who are dictators right now, and, uh, you know, thinking of Putin and the way that he would uh, pose in a very masculine sense uh, to try and create an image. But uh, we're going to continue our conversation in just a few moments. You might be disturbed by a conversation like this. There might be all sorts of things you might like to ask. Maybe you are one of the quite extensive uh, Filipino community in Australia. You're listening in and you'd like to ask your own question, make your own perspective there. You might even have your own thoughts about what might be happening back home if you're uh, from that Filipino descent. Uh, Our special guest is Elizabeth Kendall. We're talking about the process of red tagging and how that is actually showing itself in persecution of Christian believers, talking about what's developing in the Philippines right now and, as we mentioned, somewhat under the radar, not being reported in the mainstream media. But there's been a number of cases, Elizabeth Kendall, since the elections in May last year, and lots of Christians are under huge pressure now that they've been red-tagged. Some of those have disappeared uh, what are the cases that have come to light for you? Well, just since just since the election, so like this was happening all the time before the last election. So under the Rodrigo Duterte regime, it was very common, and I have written uh, during his era. I wrote on, uh, you know, as I said before, I think priests who'd been assassinated um, in 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 November 2019 the National Council of Churches of the Philippines, an umbrella body for all the Protestants, was uh, red-tagged and named as a front organisation for local communist terrorist groups. So this is something that's been going on. I was hoping that maybe with a new government things might change, but no. So the so the polls were in May, and then on, 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 on the 3rd of June of last year, Church workers from the Iglesia Filipina Independent, that's the IFI, and this is an independent member of the Worldwide Anglican Communion. So consider it like the Anglican Church of the Philippines, I I would guess. They found themselves red-tagged. Our posters and leaflets were, were scattered outside their cathedral in Laoag City, which is right up in the north of the Philippines, and on these on these posters and leaflets were the names and the faces of church leaders, including the denomination's first female bishop. And they had where they were being accused of being recruiters for the communist New People's Army, right? The armed wing of the Communist Party of the Philippines. That's like a death sentence. So that's incredibly serious. That was June. And then the next, the next one I had was um, in August, 16 missionaries belonging to a Catholic organization called the Rural Missionaries of the Philippines, a Catholic mission that works to alleviate uh, hardship in poor rural areas, hardship um, and injustice, because often in these rural areas, uh, the farmers are being driven off their land by multinational corporations that want to mine or log 
and what happens is that the like the Catholic nuns who work for these for, for this ministry, they will seek justice. They will try to defend them. They will make make protests for them. Then they get accused. So sixteen missionaries, including five nuns from the rural uh, missionaries of the Philippines, were charged with financing terrorism, specifically referring transferring funds to the New People's Army. And then in October, so just a, a little while after that, the 3rd of October, 2022, the, that Anglican uh, communion was again red-tagged. Uh, a Facebook account belonging to the National Task Force to End Local Communist Armed, Armed Conflict, that's a government-run, like, anti-terror task force, they made an official statement red-tagging this Anglican communion, Anglican church uh, again. And so the, these, uh, the IFI lamented, red tagging has now become the present fashion and common face of a harassment, intimidation and threats. Uh, it says, uh, people and groups most likely associated with the state security sector um, are targeting people who are defending the poor and trying to help the poor. So that was October. And then in, in November of last year, it was another denomination, the United Church of Christ in the Philippines. Uh, the, a pastor, his wife, uh, one of their key elders, along with 71 others, were also red-tagged, charged with supporting terrorism. Uh, the, the charge was um, incitement to repress. Oh no, yeah, the charge was financing terrorism. Now, this pastor actually went to the Supreme Court and asked for protection against red tagging, and specifically, they asked for protection against the Philippine Army's 59th Infantry Battalion in Batangas. They won the case but they still cannot come out of hiding. They still are not safe. They do not feel that they are safe. And then in July, on the 1st of July this year, uh, one of the mission, a lay missionary with the rural missionaries of the Philippines was arrested and charged with financing terrorism. So it's just going on and on. And, of course, everyone gets the message. If you criticise the government, this is what can happen to you. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. You might have a contribution to our conversation, a question or a comment. Let's take a call. Michael is in Western Australia. Hi, Michael. Welcome. Hi. Uh, good morning. What are your thoughts, Michael? Uh, well, uh, it's, I don't think it's fair that the... Um information that I hear this morning uh, I was born in the Philippines grew up there and well it's not the situation that we actually hear from the news that's really happening because right now there's this I don't see any probably it's the only pocket of persecution that's happening in the Philippines but with the, with the information I heard this morning I don't think it's uh, purely correct you know what I mean? 
So you're saying, Michael, uh, having grown up in the Philippines, and uh, thank you so much for calling through and making a contribution, but you're saying that uh, probably what we're talking about may only be in pockets, pockets of persecution in the Philippines. Let's get a a thought or two here from uh, Elizabeth. Uh, Your thoughts for Michael, Elizabeth? Well, um, I'll I'll be putting up a more detailed post to my Religious Liberty Monitoring uh, site uh, in the next week. But the prayer bulletin uh, has many links to Philippine media as well as to uh, human rights groups. Uh, the United, these denominations have all written on the persecution that they have faced. It's not, the, the thing is, it's not the sort of persecution that is, you're going to find is widespread against Christians everywhere. And it wouldn't even be against Christians who are just doing charitable work. It's against Christians who are speaking out against injustices that they witness. So here's a quote. Here's a quote from the National Council of Churches of the Philippines. Now, the National Council of Churches of the Philippines said, and this was published on the 4th of July, and, of course, they have been red-tagged themselves, so they, they understand this. Those who defend the land, often ancestral property of indigenous peoples, from the development of mines and dams, They are confronted with the Filipino military who use their power to protect the interests of multinational companies. Peasants who strive to ensure a decent and sustainable livelihood for their families and communities are often imprisoned or killed, while lawyers who try to represent them are attacked or arrested. So that's the national Council of Churches of the Philippines. That's the collective body for the for the Protestant denominations of the Philippines explaining what is happening. So for most Filipinos living in most major cities and just getting on with their business, they're not going to see it. It's not going to touch them. It probably won't touch them until something happens in their city and and maybe uh, maybe the uh, maybe pastors or church leaders protest it, something really unjust and, 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 and not right, and then that, then they're red tagged. But it's something that's definitely happening out in rural areas where people are working amongst the poorest of the poor, often amongst indigenous people in rural communities who are in the way of the multinational corporations. And when I read when I read that quote from the National Council of Churches of the Philippines, it reminded me of the situation in Nigeria uh, decades ago, when uh, before Nigeria returned to democracy, when General Sonny Abacho was in power, and Shell Oil was making a mess of the Niger Delta, and the Agoni people were protesting the mess that Shell was making. So Shell would talk to the, the military dictator, Sonny Abacho, who would send in the military to literally wipe out whole villages of Agoni people. It has that sort of sound to it, like that's what's happening. And I think Filipino churches uh, right into the big cities need to be aware of what is happening in the rural areas against, for, against those who are critical of government policy.
Uh, let me ask Michael, uh, just uh, thrilled that you've called through, and Michael, no doubt you've maintained all sorts of links with family back home, and they may be Christian, and you might be aware of mission in the Philippines. Uh, any thoughts as to whether some of these things might be hindering the gospel, hindering the church in any way? Michael, do you have a, a perspective to add there? Well, I have uh, communication with my brethren in the Philippines. I I haven't heard that there's any hindrance in uh, advancing uh, the good news there. Uh, it is true that uh, back then, that uh, in the Marcos regime, that look people are trying to bring it down, but that's a, the people's power that happened during the 80s. That's a big mistake because since then the collapse of the Philippines going to the ditch. That's what happened after Marcus regime. That's why many people, you know, get out of the country because you cannot get jobs because of corruption is getting worse and worse in drugs and so on and so forth. So that's why, you know, many people working abroad. But uh, there's no hindrance advancing the kingdom. I don't see it uh, happening right now in the Philippines. Okay, Michael, I've got to cut in because we're about to go to news. I want to thank you so much uh, for calling through and making a great contribution. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. We're talking about the... Uh, the practice of red tagging, which is growing in the Philippines and it's having its effect. Elizabeth, before we go any further, there's been a couple of callers who've called through and concerned uh, that you mentioned the name of Donald Trump in the same sentence as Rodrigo Duterte. Now, this uh, for some is uh, quite a concern and uh, we might even have a, a reminiscence of, uh, of whether the two were friends and I think they actually were. But um, uh, give us a, an insight here. Can you clarify any comment that you were making? Yes, I'm quite happy to clarify that. So we were, we were questioning why would people vote for Duterte? Well, you have to go back and look at what the Philippines was like. Uh, and uh, our last caller actually spoke about this. He talked about how everything was going to pot under these uh, the the the, pol the regimes that have been in between, you know, like Marcos and Duterte, um, the corruption, the indifference to the plight of the people, uh, politicians no longer caring about the plight of the people, but enriching themselves. Uh, not caring about the fact that their cities were going to pot, their criminality was ex was expanding, and so the people get so frustrated that, that they elect essentially a strong man to deal with it. Now, something similar but not the same has happened with Trump. So people would complain. They complained bitterly. Why would Americans elect someone like Donald Trump, you know? Well, I'll tell you why, and the reason is almost the same, because Washington had become, has become so corrupt and so disinterested in the lives of ordinary people that there was a backlash against the political class. So Donald Trump really came to power more than anything on, oh, it's almost um, on his support for the workers of the Rust Belt who have lost their jobs as everything's gone to China, you know, Death by China, uh, the famous uh, documentary that explains how 
all the industries just left in the 1990s and the people were left with nothing and Washington turned their backs. Washington turned its back while the politicians enriched themselves and empowered themselves. So Trump was elected almost as an anti-politician. He came to power on the slogan, drain the swamp, drain the swamp. And that's exactly what the people wanted. So if you want to know why people voted for Donald Trump, you have to look at the state of politics in Washington. And, you know, I would actually say too, um, Neil mentioned um, uh, Vladimir Putin. He's another really interesting case. And I think we have to not not necessarily suck up all the Western propaganda on Putin. I would suggest that he was... He is repeatedly uh, elected. Um, I know he controls a lot of the media and or has a lot of power to influence things, but he is extremely popular. He is he has popularity off the charts, and there there are reasons for that too. And one of them is the fact that as a highly intelligent uh, expert in history and a teetotaler and an action man who puts himself out there as a fit, healthy, non-drinker. He is very attractive, especially to Russian women who are sick of living with alcoholics. And I, I would actually suggest it's extremely deliberate um, he, uh, to present a different view, a different view of what um, Russian manhood can look like. It's, it's a very complicated story, I think, uh, Russia is still trying to bring itself out of 70 years of oh, captivity to nihilistic, atheistic, brutal communism that turned almost all of Russia's men into alcoholics. They're still trying to come out of that and there are reasons for Putin's popularity that the West just doesn't want to talk about. So there are complicated reasons for why people vote the way they do. And people voted for Trump because he spoke up for the little person, unlike the elites on Capitol Hill who are only interested in enriching themselves. So you always have to go back and look at the reasons. Why do people vote the way they vote? And, you know, we'll try not to uh, be hijacked in turning the conversation into a Donald Trump conversation, but uh, just for listeners who might have been concerned about including Trump in a sentence like that, and you're wondering about the Trump relationship with Rodrigo Duterte, uh, who's been painted in a pretty negative light in our conversation so far, uh, you might just Google, and as I did, uh, did Donald Trump support Rodrigo Duterte? And you'll find a whole lot of media reports there uh, where they were certainly uh, supportive of one another to be re-elected, and uh, even one headline suggesting a bromance between the two. Uh, so we'll try not to get uh, hijacked, as I say. Let's take another call. Chris is in Melbourne. Hey, Chris, welcome along. Thank you, Neil, and uh, uh, guest. Yeah, I, I just want to say something that might be controversial. Uh, you say there's a lot of Catholics being caught up in this, and... Personally, I believe the Catholic Church is behind it. They will sacrifice their, their people to, you know, because Roman Catholicism now with the Pope is just a humanistic religion. It's uh, got nothing to do with salvation. And all they want to do is wipe out the true, um, uh, you know, denominations that are preaching salvation to the people. 
uh, you know, the biggest communist sits in the Vatican. Uh, you know, they just want a, a godless sort of society where the top, just like in, you know, early days Russia and China, they, they uh, fattened themselves of all the prophets and the people who just suffered and millions died. And um, this is the vision for the world, actually, and it's just happening in different places at the moment. Chris, an interesting insight, and I know that's quite divisive. As you say, it is quite controversial. And uh, there's big, long history of the Catholic Church and uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly too. But uh, Elizabeth, is there, do you think, potentially uh, some sense in which uh, there could be uh, some association for some denominations uh, to be a part of uh, something like, you know, overthrowing a, a government? Look, I think, um, I think with the Catholic, regarding the Catholic Church, you know, we, we would agree that it, the Catholic doctrine is problematic. The Vatican is very problematic. You know, the Vatican is supporting the Chinese Communist Party's appointment of bishops for the Catholic Church, which is just incredible. Uh, they, they're very soft in the same way on in Vietnam. Uh, they're soft. I, I'm waiting to see their response to issues I've recently written about in Iraq. Um, I think they'll be soft. I think they are often soft for the same reason the heads of other denominations and even evangelical global bodies can be soft with these powers because they seek to remain close to them and friends with them, often to avoid persecution and, and in the thought that they can win, maybe win a seat at the table or win privileges. But there's you've got to realise there's Catholics and there's Catholics. So what what is happening possibly with like the heads of the Catholic Church somewhere or even in the Vatican often has no resemblance to what a group of Catholic missionaries might be doing out in the r rural Philippines, uh, giving up a, a life of luxury f of themselves to serve the poorest of the poor, uh, working in slums, working in forested areas with indigenous people who are being driven off their land by the military. Uh, they're, off, they're often quite two almost different species of Catholic, you know. And I've even noticed that there can be a really big difference between like uh, Catholics in really poor countries um, often and countries where they're persecuted uh, and like in Vietnam and and Catholics who you know in in their cathedrals in Boston or in the Vatican they're quite they're almost completely different and I have to also say that while I am no fan of the Catholic Church, no fan of the Vatican. Uh, no fan of Vatican betrayal of the Catholic Church in many places. I have actually come across Catholic missionaries who I think put even uh, many evangelicals to shame. You know, they are courageous. They are Christ-focused. Uh, they, they are often, because they're celibate, they're prepared to go behind, behind enemy lines into war zones. And uh, what I've seen the Catholic Church do in the Middle East staying in war zones to protect orphans and widows and everything. I, I feel I can't criticise uh, too broadly. I think we just have to be, uh, be a little bit careful. 
Chris in Melbourne, thank you so much for a controversial contribution, but it does highlight, doesn't it, uh, that when we think of denominations, uh, very easy to tar everyone with the same brush. If someone in the upper levels or if there are policies that are developed in the upper levels can actually then uh, tar everyone with the same colouring. So, um, yes, special honour to those who are within the Catholic Church who do such wonderful work in mission. And uh, and yes, there might be some struggles and some troubles, but we won't uh, paint everyone with the same colour. Hey, 1-800-316-316, you might like to join into our conversation. Interestingly, when you've got church now in the firing line, uh, targets, Christians are in fact renowned for speaking out against authoritarianism and breaches of human rights. And so... This obviously must have been happening, Elizabeth Kendall, for there to be a focus on the church. Are you aware that there's been any sort of outspokenness against these sorts of actions that have come from government? Well, I, I do know that the National Council of Churches of the Philippines uh, has been speaking out. Uh, I read you a quote from them before, sort of lamenting the situation. Uh, they were red-tagged themselves in, in, in November of 2019, along with Oxfam. Oxfam was red-tagged in that same, same list, accused of being a front organisation for local communist terrorist groups. So this has been going on probably since the beginning of the Duterte uh, administration. And as I said, you know, Christian uh, missionaries – Many of them are sacrificially giving Catholic missionaries, as well as Protestants who have said, you know, this is not. It's just. A, it's about the protest. It's not actually about. It's not even. It's not about the gospel. So it's not about preaching the gospel. Oh, we don't like the gospel. We're going to kill you. It's about their criticism of government policy. So the government's, you know, engaged in uh, corruption. When governments are engaged in extra supporting extrajudicial killing, and a church leader says this is wrong, then that puts them in the firing line. It's no no different, really, to what you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer found himself in when he said, "No, this is wrong. This is." a morally wrong thing to do, found himself uh, in trouble. Let's take another call. Martin is in Perth, WA. Hi, Martin. Welcome. Hi. Um, I've come in on bits of this program, uh, but I did hear the uh, comment, we uh, reap what we sow. Um, and I just want to just add a generalisation to the the whole Bible, missionary, Christian, Catholic you know, troubles, the troubles of the world. And it all comes back down to the individual. And the answers are, I, I agree, um, they're all in the Bible. The Bible covers all issues, uh, past and future, And uh, but we need the key. And the key i found is, um, strangely enough, it's also right through the Bible, but it's reincarnation. We've got to see ourselves um, into the future. So we've got to be responsible. We can't rely on the uh, politicians or governments for the answers. We've got to come up with the answers ourselves. Christ, of course, is the answer and love. 
but we've got to find it in our own evolution, which is reincarnation, repeated lives. Uh, interesting and, and points you're making here, Martin, and I will jump in because uh, some of those sorts of things, uh, reincarnation, uh, these sorts of uh, issues, well, they're certainly contrary to a biblical Christianity. Uh, just bringing Elizabeth Kendall in here. Um, Elizabeth, uh, we don't, uh, uh, just a, a brief response here for Martin. Yes, well, reincarnation is an is an Eastern uh, part of Eastern philosophy. It's not part of the uh, of what Christians believe. Christians believe that we that when we die, we um, will eventually be raised again. The Lord will return, and the dead will be raised, and uh, the sheep and the goats will be separated, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So it's a quite a different uh, worldview. But I I was wondering, I, I wasn't sure for a little while if you were trying to find it different word but um uh yeah but if that's if that's what you mean by reincarnation the eastern view that's definitely not the christian view the christian view is that god tells us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and to defend the rights of the poor and needy the bible tells us to seek justice to pursue righteousness to um and these things and so the church has a moral obligation to do it it's part of its calling when Christians like the, the missionaries for the Philippines and the poor and needy and speak up about injustices, it might look like a political issue, but it is part of their religious mandate. And uh, for me, reincarnation just has absolutely nothing to do with this at all. It has to do with what is right and what is wrong now and um and that's why they're doing it. They're following a biblical mandate to speak about, to speak truth into the public uh, square or the public space, even if that means putting their own lives at risk uh, in face of a, an increasingly dictatorial government. Martin, thank you so much for your call and, you know, just affirming that those issues of reincarnation or even the evolutionary model are very contrary to a biblical Christianity. And so if you were doubtful on those things, worthwhile doing some more research and just finding out uh, what orthodox understanding of Christianity really teaches about what happens when we die and uh, going back to Genesis as an historic account of uh, what God has done in the creation of all things. Hey, running out of time, Elizabeth, let's touch on whether any of these things could even uh, come onto our doorstep. Uh, local issues. I mean, we've been experiencing these sorts of things just of recent times with, say, the uh, hostile takeover of the Calvary Hospital in Canberra. Uh, and there's some new things that are on the boil here, uh, you know, misinformation and disinformation. Uh, sort of a truth department uh, is going to determine what's true and what's not. Uh, these sorts of things sound like the beginnings of a, a red tagging possibility. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, it's sort of, it's similar and different at the same time. It's the same sort of thing in that it's name-calling, you know. And in the Philippines, they've got this problem. They've got this problem. To, they've got a communist party that has an armed wing, an arm, a military, the New People's Army. So it's very convenient to, to you know, to, to tag people as supporters of this, you know, terrorist group. In, in our culture we get different sorts of names uh, flung at us. So we get called bigots, 
if we don't support you know the new the new agenda if we don't support the new morality then we're backward we're bigots we're homophobes we're islamophobes we're transphobes but the name calling is endless and that's really what red tagging is it's name calling so we'll just get different names uh, and those names can be used uh, to silence us, to shut down the debate. And then, of course, if you say something that is different to the government narrative now, so the government has a narrative on this or that or something else, um, then uh, then you're accused of spreading misinformation or disinformation or malinformation or false fake news or whatever they want to call it. Uh, once again, it'll be name-calling. Uh, and it'll be used to uh, to shut you down. It'll be enough to get you silenced uh, and censored, probably on social media platforms, censored in the media, censored everywhere, and possibly even maybe one day. Well, we saw this in Victoria during the lockdowns. Maybe even arrested in your pajamas in your bedroom in your home. So, you know, just from a Facebook post. So, yeah, it's a it's one of those things that you can see the pattern, you can see the trend. Uh, it's different. But, uh, yeah, that sort of name-calling is, is not good. Uh, good to be aware and to be vigilant as things change, even in our own backyard. Elizabeth Kendall, uh, just only a couple of minutes remaining for our conversation. Uh, the call to prayer. And it won't be just the Philippines suffering under these ideas of red tagging. And as you say, sometimes this can take different forms in different nations. How do you think listeners to our conversation today might spare a few moments or some time before God and uh, calling out to him for what might happen in the Philippines? Uh, Well, on my prayer bulletin on this, I said that we should pray that God will motivate and embolden the Philippines church, so that's the whole body of the church, to speak out in unison and solidarity against lies abuse of power, exploitation, and injustice. So the, in other words, the very things that are, that are seeing people fall into this, you know, to become victims of red tagging, if the church would stand together and not say, hey, well, we're safe and comfortable, we're not going to put our heads up, if the church was to stand together and say extrajudicial killing is wrong, it, it must end, if the church was to stand up together and say, driving Indigenous people off their ancestral lands, uh, especially if there's not going to be any negotiation, dialogue or compensation, is morally wrong. If the church was to stand together, holding hands across denominational lines, the government would simply have to listen. So that's something we can pray for. And uh, to pray for revival in the church, that people will be truly concerned, not just for their own comfort, but for the poor, uh, you know, and, and for the poor and the downtrodden. Uh, I also requested prayer that there would that God would intervene in the Philippines to prevent a slide into a really deadly and brutal authoritarianism so that freedom of speech will be preserved and people won't have to go into hiding just because they've criticised the government. Uh, the extrajudicial killings will end and especially we need to pray for Christian pastors and lay workers and missionaries who find themselves at odds with the authorities, uh, that God will give them wisdom and um, discernment as they navigate that path 
and that God would uh, protect them as they seek to bring glory to his name. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for wonderful input as always. Uh, Let me just mention for listeners how they can connect with you. The website elizabethkendall.com. That's Kendall with one L. elizabethkendall.com. While you're on Elizabeth's website, uh, check out all of those other uh, things that we'll often talk about. There's a couple of books you could access. Turn Back the Battle. Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today. And after Saturday comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. Uh, You can also uh, find religious liberty monitoring. And as Elizabeth says, there's going to be some more detail about this very topic we've been talking about, red tagging in the Philippines, when you can access that. It really is a treasure trove of insight into what is happening around the world, not just the Philippines, around the world, when it comes to these issues of persecution of the Christian church. So it's elizabethkendall.com. Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your insights with listeners today on 2020. And thanks for having me again, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.